Welcome to Fintech Insider News. My name is David Breer, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with the Global Head of Corporate and Institutional Digital, Niall Cameron. Niall, thanks very much for joining us. Pleasure. Um, maybe start with a little bit about your background. How did you get to, to such an impressive job title? Well, I think, I mean, I started in the city a long time ago, so 1985. And at that time, the two hot businesses were advertising and uh, going into trading. And um, I looked at both and uh, eventually chose trading. And, and that's where it started. Most, spent most of my career firstly in trading. I then um, worked in capital markets and syndication. So the second third of my career and the last third of my career has been in management, managing mostly markets business and capital markets business. I left the city in a sense or left banking in 2007 and went uh, to work for Market Group. And uh, Market Group was, I think I was employee number 300 at that point and left about four years later and there was two and a half thousand people. So very fast growth period. Um, and I sort of learned data and technology when I was there. Came back to banking and um, to sort of set up the credit business, credit trading and sales business at HSBC, but bringing back those technology skills, those data skills. And we you know, started to apply that into a sort of into trading, trading and sales business. Did that for several years, four or three years, and then I went back to being head of markets uh, at EMEA uh, for, for HSBC. Uh, and then a year, about a year ago, uh, moved to the digital job. Uh, and so sort of in, in the back, a sort of mar marriage of my old skills from on, on data and technology and the new and the sort of my sort of lifelong skills and trading sales and uh, That's capital markets. Sounds like a really interesting background. I think we could uh, speak for an hour just on uh, just yeah. on the, the sort of backstory on this one, but maybe sort of, I guess, focusing a little bit on what you're doing at HSBC mm -hmm. now. That, Like you say, that's a really interesting role. It seems quite a, well, a very big role in the remit of what yeah. HSBC does as well. You know, the thing with digital is it, it's a sort of as broad as you want to make it. In fact, you know, when, when we looked across all the initiatives that are happening in the bank, technically everything is digital. You know, everything is using data, everything's using technology, everything's, you know, overhauling systems. And so really you can look at the whole thing and say digital. The reality is you have to um, choose zones to work in. And so what we do is we have we have zones that we work in and I focus on those. And then what we do is we collaborate with a lot of our colleagues and help them with their digital agendas as well. So it's a, okay. it's a hybrid. Well, that, that's really interesting. We've, we've heard, uh, you know, quite a few companies that have been, you know, really successful in the space in, in employ that type of approach. Yes. You know, it's, uh, it's not just about, uh, you know, one team with all the, the shiny things, but it's yeah. very much a, how can you facilitate change? Yeah. And, and I, I like your, I can do, I can do anything, but I can't do everything. You know, especially in such a large organization, you've you've got to sort of um, place the emphasis on the things that really move the dial for the yes, customer. Yes, that's right. I think that the part of the digital team's role is to sort of catalyze change, and you can do that in two different ways. You can you can basically do that by actually building things yourself and showing the bank this is what digital looks like. This is what digital can do. Um, but you can also do it by helping other teams and encouraging them and showing them how to build and showing them how to think digitally. Yeah. So a big part sounds like it's uh, it's about culture, right? You know, uh, I guess a, a big part of what you're you're looking to do is is sort of work across those other teams and and create that culture of innovation. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It, it's. I think part of it is is showing what can be done because I think until you've you've operated in a digital environment. You don't know what data and technology can do for you. And I think by showing how it can solve problems and how it can create client solutions is half the battle. Because people just think that, well, that, that's, that's going to be too difficult to do that. And actually, you quite often can say to people, well, it's actually a lot easier to think. 
Um, actually, there's a bit of a, a strange truism. The things that people think are difficult are actually quite easy, and the things that people think are easy are quite difficult. And uh, part of our job is to try and help show what can be done, yeah. but also to show sometimes what can't be done or what is very, very difficult to do. Mm. But I guess having that technology background, actually, that's, you know, I've always found that really helpful. You can almost know where the, the boundaries are, can't you, in terms of the, like you said, the art of the possible, but also uh, setting where people's expectations should be. That's right, David. And it's normally not the technology. Yeah. It's normally the data. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, with the, the, the technology is there. You can, there's multiple technologies. Most technologies are pretty much on the shelf. Yeah. The difficulty is quite often getting the data to work. And so knowing what is, what is, as you say, you know, the art of the possible, knowing what can be done in what time scale and what cost, this is quite important. And so we act quite often in a, in a sense, sometimes quite as an advisory or internal consultancy as well. So we have this duality of building things and helping other people. Uh, with their build and with their construct. Yeah, it sounds, sounds really exciting. I, I guess it's probably the best time to be doing that type of thing as well, really, with all of the, you know, yeah. the changes that we're seeing, the, you know, advancements that we're seeing with uh, new technologies and capabilities. And, and even, I guess, in, you know, the external pressure of people's yeah. expectations, it, it feel, feels like there's yeah. so many exciting things happening. I think there's quite a few things that have come together at the same time to sort of create this 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 force. I mean, I think from the from the client perspective, suddenly clients are saying, "Well, hold on a second. In my personal life, I've got a very good digital experience. I've got this this iPhone, and I, I can order things on my phone. And I have this very good you know customer journey. Um, in my personal life, I'd like to have it in my corporate life as well. And I think that's really changed in the last twelve months. People are now demanding a much higher standard. So there's a force for. Uh, for getting digital, um, I think also there's competitive pressure. Um, so, so you've got you know uh, pressure coming from your competitors, pressure coming from your clients. I think also so much more is available now. You know, bef- the, the the cost of technology, the cost of being digital is so much lower, yeah. and and the the variety of things that you can do is so much greater. You know, before everything you know had to be built yourself. Huge timelines, huge cost, huge risk, you know, the potential to create a, a, a white elephant. Um, whereas now, you know, so much is off the shelf. It's, the art is really about combining them and, and using all those, you know, fantastic technologies, fantastic fintechs out there and sort of combining them into a product um, for your clients or even for your internal staff. And I think that's like, I don't hear enough people saying that, the internal staff piece particularly, because actually most people focus, you know, there's this relentless desire to focus on the customer. But actually, you know, I, I argue quite often with people that if they're not establishing the culture of uh, of really sort of meeting the bar of people's, the employees' expectations for digital capability, it becomes really difficult to do. You know, you set high expectations of what you want to deliver, but you're, you know, holding people's hands behind their back. It's actually always an interesting tension because usually for from, uh, you know, very senior people who have got exception IT processes, it doesn't usually seem like a problem. But actually, for the people on the ground, you you need to really give them, meet their expectations, like you say, from a consumer perspective. You're right. I mean, the, the reality is, in a services business and finance, your people are your most expensive, you know, the, the largest cost, yeah. and they're the, your, your greatest asset. And so you want to make sure that their time is well spent. And if you if you have processes and a, and a, let's say a, a workplace that is inefficient um, because you haven't digitized it properly, you're you're wasting that time and talent. 
and you're demotivating them. Mm. And then the reality is if people don't feel digital, it's very hard for them to sort of act digitally outside of the firm. So I think this is very important. We've got a program called Digital for Our People. And basically it is a set of tools. They're not expensive. We don't spend a lot of money on them, but we put quite a lot of thought into them. And we, we build these digital tools to help people navigate their day-to-day work. And that can be very simple, helping a workflow for a loan banker or bringing down the um, the size of the intranet, which is huge, intranet and internet into, into something that's much more scalable and very uh, easy to find. Or it could be um, uh, we've got something called uh, Digital Download that we're, we're launching, which is effectively a digital magazine for our staff to educate them on digital. Mm. And so they can find out about DLT or AI or new payment systems from this site. So that's that I think is very important. It's it's never an area that's going to get the most funding. Most funding is always going to go towards the client side. Um, and that's the right thing. But I think a certain amount of attention needs to be spent um, on the staff. Great. I agree. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank. And the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the Innovation Acceleration Platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.terminos.com. Um, one of the things that you guys have been doing uh, lately is uh, so the USC project that you guys have been involved in. This is a very adventurous uh, sort of capability that actually is taking quite a different approach. So yes. can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, we, we like this one. I mean, it's, um, it's a digital currency. And um, the idea is it is effectively would be fiat backed, so backed by, you know, call it sort of physical currencies. You know, so the idea, the idea is that you can create a digital currency with the, the backing the security uh, of effectively um, deposits in, say, a central bank. Mm. And then that digital currency can be used um, for settlement, probably initially as an inter- interbank model, mm-hmm. um, but ultimately could go much wider. And this concept of having a digital currency that's backed by something else, in this case, sterling or dollars or yen, that is, that is something that I think is really, really interesting because you can start to... Um, get real efficiencies of a digital currency, but maybe without some of the concerns of a non-fiat-backed currency. Yeah. So it's a good, it's a good, it's a good start, I think, in this area. We're, we're very interested in this one. It's it's fascinating, and like you say, it really has the potential to take billions of pounds of operational cost out of right. big organisations, and that right. you know that for a uh, for a starting use case is actually pretty impressive, isn't it? That's right. Well, you know why why move real money around? when you can move digital money around and you can achieve the same benefit. Um, And that has different benefits in terms of risk, capital charges, liquidity charges, um, and just allows potentially a much more fluid system. Yeah. So um, the companies that are involved in that are, you know, they're not 
30, 40, 100 year old companies, you know, they've got some small nimble fintechs and actually, you know, increasingly we're seeing the the sort of relationship between uh, big incumbent organizations and small fintechs getting to be much more kind of, I I always kind of laugh about the, you know, the first phase of fintech was very much, you know, we're going to break the banks and uh, take over the world type thing. And and actually, I think we've come to a much more of a, you know, a B2B realistic model. It feels more mature now. It does. The relationship's starting to get a bit more mature. Exactly. I think there's, I think there's mutual respect on both sides for for what can happen and actually the the ecosystem working best if there's a collaborative approach so how, how do you see that continuing i think i th- i think it's going in the right direction now i think i agree with you the, the early stage was a, a bit abrasive um and, and 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 probably a little bit premature i think this next phase has been much more um as i said before much more mature people have realized that each party has something to give the other and I think when you look at the existing financial players, they've got huge networks, they've got huge country presence, huge people, enormous intellectual capital inside, um, strong balance sheets, you know, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, they have, have real power. And the fintechs have real focus, you know, because they've typically chosen one thing. You know, most fintechs will do one thing. Uh, obviously, as they get bigger, they, they do multiple things, but they start off with one thing and they, they focus and they tend to do it very well. And they tend to do it at a very high level, and they have subject matter experts typically around that one that one thing that is incredibly useful when you're dealing with a more generalist op- uh, operation. So I think that, that a lot of the the uh, it's very important for us actually that we, we, we know that if we want to grow fast uh, in this new digital world, we have to embrace fintech and we have to truly embrace it, not just talk about it. We need to, you know, bring them in, work with them, partner with them. Um, that doesn't mean with everybody, you know. We we are gonna, we are very selective, but um, when we when we do select the players, they they're sort of they're, they're part of the team, yeah. and that's how we think of them. And I think I think rightly so. I think being super selective when you're you know the size of of HSBC, then actually the you know you you don't have the luxury of just being able to do anything with anything. You know, it's uh, it matters a lot more when there's uh, you know tens of millions of customers involved in the process. Yeah, we've got to make sure that they are able to do the thing they, they say they're able to do. And they can do it in a secure way and they can be trustworthy and they can have the same standards. And they're not, have, they're not the same size as us, but they have the same standards and ethical standards. And I think this is really uh, very important. And, you know, we need, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of fintech players out there and there's a lot of good ones and we can't partner with all of them. So it's, it's really, it's really the selection process is, is very important and we spend quite a lot of time working with people the other side of it is a lot of people spend time on lots of proof of concepts that is very time consuming um and um we we tend to sort of work with people and and work how they work first um and then we bring them in so we we tend to i'm not saying we don't do proof concepts but we uh we, we we keep a limit on how many we can do it's amazing how important that is isn't it the the culture of working with each other and actually the you know can you sort of not just contractually trust, but actually understand how the, moti- like you say, the motivations of the people. But yes. um, it's yes. um, it's a fascinating time though. So there's so many different organizations out there doing interesting things. Who, I guess, outside of, of HSBC, do you guys look to as, uh, you know, either uh, locally or globally that you think are doing really, you know, interesting things in your space? I mean, this sounds like a bit of a trite answer, but I think everybody's doing interesting things. I mean, if you look across the banks, um, there's, there's, you, you'll see very interesting things coming out from different banks on a daily basis. So I wouldn't say there's any one institution that we're sort of, you know, 
looking up to in admiration. But, um, you, you know, you see literally every day very interesting initiatives um, and developments coming from banks. But, all you know, not just the big banks, you know, quite often the, the regional players. Um, so you see a lot of, you know, a lot of good stuff coming there. Very interesting from fintech, as we just discussed. But also, I think, you know, coming out of Asia, I think there's, there's some real, you know, really sort of fast-moving fintechs. Not the fintechs, really. They're, they're huge, huge companies. But they're, they're, they're very um, pushing very hard and very adventurous. And, you know, that some of the, the products they're giving their customers um, are, are getting very advanced. Well, that, that must be a quite a unique thing from HSBC's perspective, actually. So, you know, a lot of the people I've talked to, uh, you know, coming from Hong Kong, then, you know, the realities of Alibaba and Tencent and all of the people coming through there, you, like, like you say, scale is not a problem that they've had. You know, we're, we're sort of um, in the UK excited that somebody like Monzo is getting 400,000 customers, but, you know, they've got 450 million active customers, haven't they, Alipay? So it's, um, it must be interesting to see that difference in the different markets. Yeah, they're, they're different type of partnerships. I mean, so I think that, you know, we would like to have, well, we do have, and we would like to have partnerships, big and small. But the relationship that you would have with big and small is very different. So with a large player, you're sort of standing typically equally at the table mm-hmm. and you you know it's it's they're quite sort of serious negotiations there's also many things you can do so when you when you're doing a partnership with a big player there's so many touch points you the the, the art is actually trying to work out what is the best thing for us to do next because you can't do 20 things yeah. and so that's that's one of the the processes i'm seeing in the market now people are trying to work out how best to partner with each other and we're, we're still, I think we're still at quite an early stage of this. You'll see, I think you'll see a lot more of that in the next few years. That's going to be a big new growth area in terms of sort of big player partnerships on particular topics. With the fintech, it tends to be, in a sense, a little bit simpler because they typically are doing one thing and you're trying to fit their product, their expertise, their service into your offering. Or let's say they're running a platform, a multi-participant platform you are then trying to fit your product onto their platform. Sure. But it's a quite simple to work out what should be done. Uh, with the bigger players, there's almost too much opportunity and you need to hone it down and work yeah. out what works yeah. for both. Again, that's the exciting thing, the level of different use cases, opportunities that are actually out in the market, isn't there? I was saying to somebody yesterday that actually the, the sign of a, a truly innovative bank today is uh, that their procurement team are uh, are tooled up to be uh, as agile as the fintechs want to be. And, and almost, I think, like you say, in a contractual terms and actually everything that happens, yeah. working with a company that's only existed yeah. for a year is very, very different to working with one that's been there for 50, 100 years. And that's, a big, that's one of the changes that I think all the banks are going to have to you know, adapt to. I think what what you probably find in most large corporations is that the the business teams, the technology teams, go ahead quite quickly, and the 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 you know the rest of the bank call it the control areas or the, say the procurement areas, the service areas. Um, they they they're not necessarily always moving as quickly, but I think that that gap will need to be closed if the overall institution is to be successful in this. You need to be all pretty much lined up. Um, and I think that will happen. Um, I think it's quite nat- natural that, um, you know, the business side it charges ahead as always. Mm. Well, somebody's got to be leading the way, which is good. Um, so I guess moving back to, to you a little bit here. So like I say, you've had a really interesting background and in the, the role that you're doing now. There must be many highlights, but what would you point to as the, the sort of highlight of your career so far? 
Uh, yeah, it's quite a difficult one because at different different points in your career, you you know, different things are are, are very significant. I think one of the things I enjoyed a lot was probably at, uh, at Market Group because I was thrown out of my depth. You know, I'd been in banking most of my career, all my career basically. I had been doing different things in banking. I had senior jobs and lots of different roles, but I was. Um, you know, I was I was effective in the same zone, and suddenly I was in a different zone. And although I recognised all the financial instruments and I knew all the players, both on the buy side and the sell side, the mechanism of creating, you know, um, a digital product or data products or technology product, depending on how you want to describe it, that was something I'd never done before. And I had to work out how to build something and how to commercialise it and and all the levers. And I think that was. That period was quite rewarding for me because it gave me the confidence that I could do something totally different than the thing that I'd been trained to do. Um, and I think that confidence has sort of really helped me in this last phase because I've, I've had to do many different things since I joined uh, HSBC. But I had the confidence that whatever I take on, I can do. And I think that was probably that period. Um, was the uh, was that period? There's there's nothing like quite like the deep end for accelerated learning, is there? Definitely, uh, for... and it's very uncomfortable. And and you know there are periods whenever you get dropped in the deep end or drop yourself in the deep end, there are periods where you think, why don't I just stay in uh, in that warm, comfortable place of, of what I know? But I think what it what it does do is it does it goes it gives you that breadth of experience of how to look at things and deal with different situations. And I and I think. Now, in this digital age, this is really useful because things are speeding up so quick. I mean, it's the, the speed of change. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, I've been uh, 85 in the city, so, you know, 32, 32 years, and I've never seen any period that's so fast as this one. Yeah. It's going to be hard to keep pace, actually. I think for individuals, they will, they will, they will, it will be very difficult to try and keep pace with this change because you're sitting in a finance business you're surrounded by fintech it's quite financial but you know all our customers they're all going through a digital revolution as well so you know every every sector is having some level of very meaningful digital revolution on both the public and the private sector and so our customers are changing you know the finance is changing there's there's competitors and collaborators around us um so it is a it is a time to be on your toes. Yeah. Well, like, like you say, there's that 24-7 pressure now. And probably the next thing to ask you, because I, I, I love getting advice from people on this one, yeah. quite frankly, is uh, so how do you stay productive in that? Because yeah. obviously 24-7 emails, yeah. global organization, yeah. you know, I, I find there's always somebody waking up to send you something. Yeah. How, how do you stay on top well, of that? Well, I, I think, number one, have a list. Um, have a very, very clear list of the things you want to achieve and constantly update that list. But always have that one list or things you want to achieve in your work life. That's quite obvious. I think the second bit of this is be quite disciplined in staying on that list and not getting blown away into different directions by other people who are trying to get you to focus on their list or their agenda. Stay, stay on your agenda, stay focused on it. doesn't mean you don't help people, um, but don't get distracted by somebody else's list. Stay on your own. Sounds good. Last question to ask, and this is, uh, again, one I, I always like to, to hear, is um, what's the, the best piece of career advice somebody's given you? Well, I had a piece of career advice when I was uh, actually at um, Abed Amro. So it was, 19, uh, it was 2000. And a, a wise guy, a wise, a wise man who'd been in the city for quite some time said to me, uh, now, 
your career will be defined not by the deals that you do, but by the deals that you don't do. Um, and I've always remembered that because it's always taught me that you'll be remembered if you do the wrong thing. And, um, and that's always held, held with me. And I've always, it's always given me a sort of good, I think, ethical um, point to sort of anchor myself to in the, in the business world. Sounds like great advice. Niall, thanks very much thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you.